Amen. Thank you, Renee. And uh, boy, what a blessing it is. Am I on? Am I on? Oh, there I am. <laughs> uh, no, what a, a blessing it is to see these two young children coming to follow Jesus in believer's baptism, Grace and Lily. And, and I tell you, the, the neat thing of, I love about seeing children coming to, to know Christ and to being baptized is the simple fact that they had their entire lives to serve him. And what a treasure that is. We want to always be praying for them. So please take that time to be praying for Grace and Lily in the days to come. Uh, well, it's great to be a part of this service. Uh, it's, it is. Amen. It's a great time to be a part. And thank you so much for allowing us these past 26 and a half years of being on staff here at First Woodway. It has been a joy. It's been a pleasure. I can't think of anywhere else I would have rather been. And uh, you've enabled us to grow and to stretch. And as a result of that, I just want to say thank you on behalf of our family. Uh, it has been a treasure. And I will tell you, 26 and a half years is a long time to stay at one church. Uh, it's, it's neat because we become family. It's neat because we become friends at a deep, deep level. Uh, and, and that makes it fun. I will, will tell you this though, Lisa Smyers uh, shared this with me some time back that I think is hilarious. And that is because um, I've been here a long time and there was a family that had been here back in the early years, I'll say. And, uh, but then they moved away and they were gone for a period of time. And then after some years, they came back. And when they came back, they went straight to the venue service, which is what this service actually is. And they came back to the venue service and they were enjoying worship there. And, and uh, one week they videoed me doing the, the church announcements and things like that. And, and so when that part of the service came up and they showed my face up there giving the announcements, Lisa was sitting by the, the, the lady that was there and she gasped. And Lisa turned to her and said, what's wrong? Is everything okay? And she said, I thought he was dead. <laughs> well, if you're in the service, I just want you to know, Lisa has held the confidence. She never has told me who that was. But if you're here, I am not dead yet. I'm still working on the process, but uh, still hanging on by a thread sometimes, but I'm still hanging on. But uh, anyway, it's been a thrill to be here these years. And, and, you know, when you think about being here for 26 years, there's been a lot of changes, a lot of things to see, to encounter along the way, a lot of different staff members to be able to be a part of and art. And the, the worship team here has been excellent. They have always consistently brought us to the throne of grace and uh, art and Gary in the first service. And we have just an amazing staff that take to heart their calling and they want to, to minister in, in God's name and to complete the task that they've been given. And, and what a joy it's been for me to be a part of that staff for all these years. It's been a thrill. I'm, a, I'm just so grateful they allowed me to, the privilege to serve with them. And so it has been a pleasure. I want you to know that. Something that Jan or I take for granted at all. It's been a, a blast and a, and a blessing for sure. Makes me start thinking though, as I started thinking about retirement and the Lord just kept putting that on my heart and, and I kept trying to take it back off and he kept putting it back on and, and uh, finally started wearing me down, realizing that maybe now is the time. And, but you start asking yourself a lot of questions when that comes. You say, Lord, are you sure? Are you sure now's the time? I mean, it's, it's a great time to serve. It's a blessing to be in a part of this church. And yet he continued to just convict me saying now is the time. And so uh, you ask that question, is now the time? And and then I start asking the, the, the question, Lord, 
will I be able to serve anywhere else any, anymore? As far as, does this mean I'm done? Uh, and, and no, I'm going to be a lay person. I'm going to be promoted to be like y'all. I'll be a, a lay person now and get the opportunity to serve. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But then you start thinking, is my health going to hold up? Is the money going to be there to stretch out? And so you have all of these questions that mull over in your mind as you start thinking about retirement. And I thought those questions you just have to trust the Lord with and say, Lord, I don't know, but I know that you know, so I'm just going to trust that. Which then got me to thinking about a question that I was asked by my son many, many, many years ago when he was a young man, a young little boy, I should say, that uh, he came to me one time. He said, Daddy, I have a question. He says, does Jesus know everything? I thought, that's a great question. That's a legitimate question. And of course, being the minister father, I knelt down and put my arm around him. I said, Blake, Jesus knows everything. He is aware of what's going on in your life. He knows what's taking place. Yes, he knows everything. He's God. And so he knows everything. And so I was so confident that I had the answer and I just gave it to him. Yes, Jesus knows everything. Rest secure. Well, I saw him step back and these little wheels started spinning. And he looked at me and said, Daddy, so Jesus knows how it feels to wear pantyhose? <laughs> kind of shot me out of the water. I'm not sure uh, <laughs> if my answer was very good or not. But we have to deal with questions time and time and time again in our lives. And we're always asking questions or we're having to answer questions. And uh, that's just part of what's going on. But I want to just share with you today, because Paul had asked me since we were coming to this time of retirement, just to kind of share my heart a little bit about First Woodway, where my hope is for this church as we continue to grow and continue to move on in his service. And as a result of that, I'm going to turn to Matthew 16. And if you'd like to turn to Matthew 16 with me, I'd appreciate that because what we're going to find is that not only do, are we dealing with questions in our everyday life, but then Jesus was dealing with questions as well. He was going to be the one to ask the questions in Matthew 16. And to kind of put this in perspective, I just want you to understand that this is a point in Jesus's life, his earthly ministry that he had been ministering for a little over two years and during that time, as we know, as you read scripture, that you find that he has been actively involved in doing so many things. He was teaching his disciples and those that were with him. He was performing miracles. He was feeding the multitudes. He was healing the sick. He was raising the dead. He was doing all of these things. And people were observing and watching what was taking place as he was doing these things. But Jesus, in his mind, knew what was coming. And he knew the time was going to be short before he was going to be going to Jerusalem to be crucified, buried, and then rise again. And so knowing that, knowing that he was preparing this church to, or the, these disciples that he was going to be leaving, he wanted to test them to see exactly where they were in their relationship and their understanding of who he was. And so as a result of that, we're seeing that this is a time where he's closing out and he's desperately wanting to make sure that they have a grasp on the mission that still lies ahead. And so look with me in Matthew 6, 16, beginning in verse 13, it says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Now that's a good question, but what he's trying to do is he's wanting his disciples to look out, to see the people that perhaps had had an, uh, an opportunity to be with Jesus at some point, to, to see one of the miracles that was done or to hear his teaching, 
and, and to, to, to be around him to observe what he's doing. And so he says, who do these people say that I am? Great question. And what you see in verse 14, it says, and they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Well, when they respond that way, that's a, in, in their own way, that's a compliment to who Jesus was. And these disciples had picked up on that. They had been interfacing with all of these people. And as a result of that, they've heard what they were talking about Jesus. And, and they said, well, maybe he's like John the Baptist, Elijah, or Jeremiah. That's a pretty elite group when you think about it, when you start considering being compared to somebody like John the Baptist or Elijah. That's, that's a, an elite group to be a part of. But what's interesting is each one of those was a man. And so when they responded, the people think that you're like John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets, Jeremiah. They're comparing him to another man. Jesus is, in my opinion, setting this question up to follow up with the next question. Because as you see what he goes on to say in verse 15, Jesus turns it away from the public, the people, and he says, but you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? He's making it very, very personal. Now I'm gonna tell you, I believe firmly that this is the best question that's ever been asked. It's the most important question that's ever been asked. It's a question that is the ultimate of all questions. And it's a question not only for the disciples that Jesus is talking with, he's not only just saying, but you, who do you say that I am? I'm gonna tell you that he's looking at each one of us in this room saying, but who do you say that I am? Doesn't matter what these people say. I know what they say. The question is, what do you say? Who do you say that I am? He's making it a very pointed question because you see the way that the disciples were gonna to have to answer this if they were gonna be right is that they're gonna to have to take it up a lot from what the people were saying. And let me say that's gonna be true for each one of us in this room as well. As we consider answering this question, we have to think our eternity depends on the way that we answer this question. Have you thought of that? When we start thinking, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to us? If we answer incorrectly, our eternity is in the balance. That's why I think this is the most important question that can ever be asked. It has eternal implications on it. it. Says that Simon Peter answered, he's answering in behalf of these disciples. It says he answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, when he says that, when he says you're the Messiah, he's making a big point because the word Messiah there means the same thing as Christ. You are the Christ. You're the promised one, the one that the Old Testament taught us about that was coming. You're the one that we've been waiting on for so long. You are the anointed one, the chosen one. So when he says you're the Messiah, what he's doing is he's saying that you are the fulfillment of all prophecy. Everything comes down to you. And we sense that, we know that. And so he says, you are the Christ. But he goes on to say, you're the son of the living God which means you're not a man like John the Baptist, nor Elijah, nor Jeremiah, or anybody else that's walked the face of this planet. He says, not only are you the Messiah, but you're the son of the living God. You see, he's just put the whole spiritual emphasis on this. He's, he's full, filled in all the gaps to say, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are the one that stepped out of glory into our lives. And so they made that 
confession. It's known as the great confession that, that Peter is the, the, the vocal one that speaks up for the group to say that. And look at in verse 17, because Jesus responds to that answer. And he says, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. He first says, Simon, you're blessed. You are right on target. You've got it. You did pull it together. As the other disciples, they, they voiced their opinion. You are the Messiah. And as a result of that, he says, flesh and blood didn't tell you that. In other words, you didn't reach that answer because of your human intellect. You didn't get to that point because of just your fleshly wisdom. You didn't come together as a group and talk about it and take a vote to say, yes, he's the Messiah. He says, no, the father is the one that brought you to this place. He's the one that showed you who I am. This is a spiritual decision. It's not something from the human intellect. This is something that the Lord has drawn you to and you have grasped it. And so don't you see, Jesus was blessed by this answer because he wanted to hear from them, do they understand who he is? Because Jesus knows in a matter of short time, he's gonna be leaving them, going to the Father. But he wanted to make sure that the, the faith in Christ is in good hands. And that's why they said what they did. But then it goes on to say, in verse 18, he says, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. When I, Jesus is making a play on words here because he says, Peter, talking about you're a rock. And when he says Peter, the, the, the term that he uses there is petros in the Greek, which means it's a, it's a stone, it's a rock. But he says, you're a, you are a rock. But then when he says, I'm gonna build my church on a rock. He's talking about Petra, which is a much larger stone, a huge stone, a, a rock outcropping. And he says, I'm building my church on that. And what Jesus is actually saying, Peter, you got the right answer, you spoke. And, and, and everybody that gets the right answer is like a rock, a stone. In fact, Peter himself says this. If you go to 1 Peter, the second chapter, you can read his, his thoughts on what we're talking about here because he says, Everyone that professes Christ as their Lord and Savior is like a stone, a living stone. And this living stone is being built into a church and they're just being stacked one upon another. Just like you saw Lily and, and Grace being up here professing their faith, another stone is being added to the church. And what a joy that is. And, and so he says, we are all living stones, but we are built on the foundation stone, the very cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ. And so he said a mouthful when he says, Bella, you are blessed and I'm gonna build my church on the fact that you know who I am. You are living stones being built into the church. Well, now what we need to also understand in this is that the word church there is ecclesia and this is the first time it's used in the New Testament. Talking about the church, which means a gathering of the called out ones. They're, they're set apart because of their belief and their commitment to who Christ is. And as a result of that, they're called out. And he's talking about the church. And this term is in there about 114 times in scripture in, in the New Testament, I should say. And, and about 90 of them are about the local church. Now, chances are this one is talking about the universal church. But I'm going to beg off. I'm going to tell you. Now, right off the top, I'm going to change that a shade. And I know you shouldn't be changing scripture, but, but follow me on this, would you? Because I've been talking about this church 
First Woodway, my opportunity to be here. What my hopes, my dreams, and uh, my heart is for First Woodway. Because when I see this and, and think of the question that's been asked, who do you say that I am? That's something that we all have to ask. And I'm, it's my prayer that everybody in this room has answered that question the same way that, that Peter was able to. And as a result of that, he says, I'm going to build my church. My hope for First Woodway is that we will be the church that Jesus builds. We're his church. We're his body. It's a church that will stand upon God's word, stand upon the truth that's there, and that we will abide by that. Because you see, the, the, the struggle is church is not always the same all across the country. Churches are different. Um, it's been kind of a, a different type of research. I went and, and looked at some of the different polls regarding the church, and, and I looked at about six different polls, everything from Barna's to Lifeways to the U.S. Census report about the church. And one thing that's kind of disconcerting is that it says that each year in the United States, somewhere between 4,000 and 10,000 churches close their doors. Well, why is that? Well, there may be a number of reasons, but if you'll allow me, I think one of the reasons, perhaps maybe even a major reason, is because the church loses its focus. It forgets that it's Jesus's church founded on God's word and unapologetically to be standing on that word. Perhaps they wanna be relevant. Perhaps they wanna be cool. Perhaps they wanna be the church that everybody gravitates to. And so some of those churches in the process of doing that will start compromising scripture. They'll start twisting it a bit. They'll start saying, well, you know, we need to, to bend that to, to make sure no one is offended by the blood, by the cross, by the death of Christ. And so what they do is they'll start changing that a bit. Or perhaps they're already in decline. They think in order to draw people, we're going to have to compromise our beliefs and convictions and what scripture says. And as a result of that, what we will do is we will take away those offensive parts, hoping that people will stay. And all they've done is written their own death certificate at that point. And I don't know how many churches are in the process of dying because they're in that process of compromising what scripture says. And I think of this service because you are the younger ones in our church. And it seems like the pressure is more on you than anyone else because it's so accepted to be worldly, secular in so many ways. Well, you know, the apostle Paul writes about this as well. And I'm gonna to jump to 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, because I want you to hear what Paul tells young Timothy about the church and his commitment to the church. Here he is trying to pastor church and, and Paul is writing to him and he's giving him instructions. And so the 2 Timothy 4, beginning in verse one, he says, before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, I solemnly charge you, proclaim the message. Other versions say, preach the gospel. The gospel hasn't changed. And that's the, the encouragement, the advice. As a matter of fact, that's the demand that Paul puts on Timothy. Preach the gospel. It's God's word. 
It's the hope we have. But he goes on to say in verse three, for a time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. Paul is almost being a prophet at this time. He says, Timothy, you have to hold fast. You have to stand firm for who Christ has called you to be, for the word that's true. It's unchanging. Culture changes, society changes, the way we feel changes, but God's word never does. And so he says, you stand on that word. A time is coming when they will shy away from that word because they'll wanna be relevant. They wanna hear something new and they'll turn aside from the truth and they'll start following myths. Paul was a prophet and I'm saying what he was talking about then has happened now. We're in a day when the gospel is compromised. We're in a day when scripture is no longer treated as the true word of God. And as a result of that, that can be a big part of why churches are dying and shrinking. Because you see, the church that Jesus builds is the church that will survive. The church that Jesus builds is gonna be the church that thrives, that's gonna reach people for the cause of Christ. They're not gonna bend the knee to anyone else or anything else. Instead, they're gonna stand strong for his word. I'm gonna close with one last verse back in Matthew 16, because he adds to that point. He says, and I say to you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the forces of Hades will not prevail. What he says is the church that I build will be a lasting strong church. And he goes on to say, keeping in mind, Jesus has not gone to the cross yet. He has not died yet. He's not been buried or risen yet. Instead, he is still looking to that time coming. And that's why he's talking to his disciples. And he's saying, I wanna know where you are because this is where I'm going. And that's why he says that confession of faith that you made, that commitment to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he says, that's the church that I'm building. And he says, I will be able to help you go through even the forces of Hades. Because you see, Hades is a place of the dead. And Jesus knew that he was gonna die. But guess what? Death was not able to contain Jesus. He broke that force wide open. He is a living savior. Did you see, he says he's the son of the living God because Jesus came forth. His church will be those people that understand that, that hold to that and to know that it's true. And as a result, he says, I will build my church and my church will be able to stand against anything Satan throws at us as long as they stand on his word, as long as they commit to the gospel as the gospel, the true word. So where is my hope for First Woodway? Well, I don't know what's gonna happen out there. I know it's becoming more and more difficult to stand up for Christ and be a strong, committed church. It's not cool anymore. It's not the thing to do. There are all kinds of challenges. Uh, the world likes to intimidate us. But may I say, for First Woodway, 
be the church that Jesus built. Be the church Jesus built because that's the church that will endure. That's the church that will stand strong. That's the church that will bring people to a saving faith in Jesus Christ because they're always pointing to it. John 12, Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Be the church that lifts up Jesus. In so doing, we'll be the church that thrives, that grows, that continues to minister in a difficult day and a difficult age. May we be that church. Would you pray with me? Father, I wanna thank you for who you are. Thank you for the privilege of you allowing us to be who you want us to be if we will only serve you. Lord, I am so grateful for First Woodway and all the years I've been able to serve here because it's been a, a, an awakening time. You have, you have grown me, you have stretched me, you have um, enabled me to see you do mighty works here. And I'm so thankful for that. And I, I wanna pray a special prayer for Paul Sands as he is our pastor, that as he leads our church, would you help him to hold fast to the doctrine of, of the gospel he would stand squarely on God's word and preach it unashamed. And I know he does. And I'm so thankful that we have a pastor that does. So bless him in the days to come as he continues to lead your church that you're building. May he be sensitive to that. And I pray for our staff. They're, they're, they're more than a staff to me. They're our friends. They're, they're my people that I just love to be with. And I know that each one are so gifted and talented in their own area and so called by you to serve. And so would you continue to help them to see you at work in their ministries, that you would bless them and anoint their giftedness, use them for your glory. And then Lord, I just pray for, for the rest of our, our members here because we are your church. We're the people that are called out by you to serve here in this local body. And so Lord, I pray that you will use us for your glory, that you'll hold us together by your Holy Spirit and that we will sense your presence in all that we do. Let us step outside these walls. And as we do so, Lord, would you use us as light in darkness? Would you help us to depend on you? Look to you for every good and perfect gift and trust you. Let us not ever be afraid or ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God to salvation. So use this church, I pray, a strong hand of blessing and covering over it and commit it to you in Jesus' precious name, amen.